welcome along to Becoming Mandela. I'm Dave Cortine and I'm so grateful that you've given up some of your time to join us for today's podcast. You join us as we conclude the first section of Trevor Waldock's book, Becoming Mandela, which has been setting the scene of how we're called by life to be the best version of ourselves. Today's session is called Dare Not Linger, and Trevor explores how it is important that we continue to find ways to challenge and grow and not fall into the trap of settling and being comfortable with what we have. And this is a message for everyone, irrespective of age, as Trevor explains. And I think Dare Not Linger is not just a problem for older people, and though I see it hugely, and I'm so aware of it in myself, uh, and you know, maybe we can talk more about this, I'm so aware that I have to work harder and harder at myself not to linger. Um, so it is an issue, clearly, for those hitting the second chapter of life, second half of life. But I also think it's an issue for young people. And I think dare not linger for a lot of young people, if I was to overgeneralize, I would say is around distraction. There is so much distraction. You know, you can spend all day on the Twitter sphere or Instagram sphere. It's just like a hungry monster. You can spend the whole day. And then you say, well, what else could you have done with that day? Well, if you'd have taken half an hour of that time and read a book, a chapter a day, on a subject that you really wanted to become an expert in, in five years' time, you do come a long, long way. You know, so I think there is something about the distractions that enable a lot of young people to linger, to be honest. If they're hanging around. You know, I found chatting about Dare Not Linger with Trevor so valuable, and I hope you do too. Don't forget that at the end of every podcast, we leave you with a set of questions to challenge you or to start a conversation. You can find these questions in the show notes, so please do join in and we'd love your feedback. Right, are you ready? Let's dare not linger. I don't know about you, but when I read a book, I can't help but identify the odd chapter that either really resonates with me or is my favourite chapter. So I'm really looking forward to this podcast because chapter four, which is called Dare Not Linger, was definitely one of my favourites in this Becoming Mandela book that, that Trevor wrote. So so Trevor, it's uh, thank you. For, this really spoke Great. to me, this thank chapter. So, so I'm looking forward to to talking about it and I I love the fact and we'll explore this kind of phrase of the chapter is dare not linger and so the fact that when we're on a project and it, and it finishes that we then need to move on to the next so that's that's kind of the in a nutshell is what this this chapter about and obviously we're going to unpick that as we talk through in the next uh, 40-50 minutes or so so let's start I suppose a good place to start on this is is with Mandela and the relationship that he had with those older men that were in the community that he was in and how they helped him in his youth. So, so just remind us of that, Trevor, before we sort of dig in further. Yes, I think the important thing in terms of understanding how Mandela became Mandela 
was that it wasn't a solo project, that Mandela was nestled or cradled within a whole bunch of elders in his life that were either in his community or began to surround him. So he always had these elders around him who supported him, challenged him, had a, could see his potential, could see his character flaws. And, and right from childhood all the way through to his death, he talked about the elders. Yeah, I think we touched on that a little bit before. So those people were integral in terms of who he was becoming. And, and the, I think one of the issues here is becoming is a lifelong project. And I, I think one of the biggest difficulties is our view of life is, if I was to put it very coarsely, is based on three chapters. There's kind of childhood youth, then there is adult, job, relationship, and then there's retirement. And a lot of people haven't really thought about chapter three. Mm -hmm. And it comes back to this same leadership issue. If you view life in that way, then almost your mind can start running down. You start looking to retirement, thinking that's the end. And then you just kind of relax and, you know, do whatever you want to do until the end. If we come back to that issue we talked about last time, it, leaders begin with the end in mind. Now, if you believe that the end in mind of your life is death, then that's where your mind will run to, yeah, to the death. But if you believe that the end in mind in your life is actually going to outlive you, your legacy, then it means your life's just going to keep on running. Even when you physically die, your life will go on being an influence in the lives of others. So Mandela was surrounded by that mindset, that view of life. And I remember you tell the story in the in the book about about a guy who gets on a flight and speaks to someone that's coming towards the end of their mm. of their career and 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 kind of um says, Oh, you must be looking forward to kind of relaxing and chilling out effectively. And the guy says, Oh nice and I'm not I'm not stopping. That's when that's when the real work begins in my culture you know, my job now will be to lead the leaders. And that's just part of the culture. And it was the culture that Mandela grew up in. Why, why do you think we don't have that concept of, of elders in, in Western civilization? Because it just, it just isn't there, is it? I mean, the, the, there's very much a case of, you know, when the new leader comes in, they move out the, the, old, the old guys that have been around for a while because they want to kind of replace them. I mean, you know, we see that in politics uh, and, and all forms of life. So, yeah, why do you think we don't have that culture of elders in Western civilization? Because I think for the last few hundred years, we have perfected the art in the West, not in other places that I work, but in the West, of uh, individualism. Is that right. individualism is, is king, you know. And even when we say you can be who you want to be, you know, even that language is you. Now, in Mandela's culture is you can be who you want to be, but you can't just be who you want to be on your own. Who you are is shaped in a whole cradle of relationships. So yes. I, I think the individualistic mindset has a huge part 
to play, not only in us just focusing on us, it means that we then focus on trying to become our best selves on our own. We'll get help if we need it, yeah, you know, but basically we should try and, and achieve it on our own. And we see that the playground of life that we play in is, is us, you know, influencing or being great, being recognized uh, as others. And, and we earn money for ourselves. Um, so I, you know, it's obviously a big subject, but I think the Western focus on individualism is, has been huge. And what concerns me most about it is that often in the West, we don't see how limited that view is. We think that's how everyone thinks, and therefore we we idealize it. We think that's what it means to be a great human being. Yeah, and, and I think you know it's developed a great arrogance. We have stopped learning, and we'll get onto this when we talk about Ubuntu, because there is a whole philosophy and mindset around leadership that comes out of South Africa that was the reason for the end of apartheid. So I don't believe that a Western leader could have ended apartheid basically. And we can explore that wow. more another time. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that podcast. Um, so let's come back to the, the let's say the title of, of this session is, is, is Dare Not Linger. Let, let's talk a bit about what you mean in the context of this about, about lingering. What's, what's the challenge with lingering? What's, what's the, what do we lose out by, by lingering for too long? Just, just open yeah, that it's up. Just open, yeah, sure. Uh, let me start again, just by reiterating this the mindset of l towards life because this will shape where Mandela was when he made the statement, dare, I dare not linger. So the, the mindset of saying my life will be lived to the very end and beyond, not I'm going to stop at a certain point and kind of run down the clock. So Mandela gets, and this is all in his book, Long Walk to Freedom, but he gets to the end of the book. And of course, by the end of the story, the whole political landscape of South Africa has changed. He's freed from prison. The ANC, it's illegal again. Mandela takes power. The whole game changes. Apartheid officially comes to an end. So... You kind of think high note, you know, roll the credits on the film, end of. But what Mandela says, he said, I've come to realize that life is like walking up a mountain. You walk up this huge mountain and you get to the top only to realize <laughs> there's another mountain. And when you get to the top of the next one, oh, there's another mountain. So he has this view of life. And what he's really saying is we've just climbed a mountain here. Yeah, a huge one, the ending of apartheid. And what I realize now is the work is just beginning. And it was. And having worked in South Africa, it really is, you know, a, a huge, huge mountain as to how you create a post-apartheid South Africa. So he said, I, I got to the end of that first mountain. And he said, it's OK to stop and rest for a moment take a deep breath, look around and say, wow, look what we've achieved. And then he says these immortal words. He said, but I dare not linger because the job isn't done yet. Because he called his book The Long Walk to Freedom because it was a long walk to freedom at a national and political level. So that was the first mountain. But the second mountain is at some level even more difficult, is how do you 
help every individual now in that nation make their own long walk to freedom. Sure. Because they've all got to now make that journey. He's kind of embodied it and with his colleagues helped the nation do it. But the job now is how do you help this whole generation of young people to make their own long walk of freedom, to realize their own potential? Because a lot of them were like, great, you know, these guys have won the battle. We'll just now reap all the rewards. And Mandela's like, no, no, no. There's a whole new thing to be done here. And as well as, you know, the whole context of AIDS was exploding on the world at that time. So those kind of huge global contexts. So he's saying, I can't sit down for more than five minutes here. I can, I'll enjoy the moment, but I dare not linger because my work is not yet done. And it's how many people do you meet that have a vision of the next mountain yeah. in their lives and say, my work's not yet done? And they don't know whether they'll die or having got to that top of that mountain, but they will be leaving behind them everything that they can to enable others to get to the top of that next mountain. So I think that's that's the background of where the phrase comes from. And... And he lived that out by actually only serving kind of one term of his presidency. So, so his idea of not of not lingering was was to do one term as president and then move on to become this kind of elder statesman that could be influential but not have to be president. That's 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 also part of the way he lived that out. That not lingering kind of concept. Well, yeah, I think there's a couple of dynamics in that. So, so number one is it was a if you ever wanted the mark of the man's leadership is that he said, I'll only walk, work one term. Um, because if you look across Africa, that's that's almost unheard of, that yeah. anybody would just say, no, I'm doing that for five years and that's it. Um, so for a leader to actually plan their own succession right from the beginning in such a clear way was a profound act of leadership. But I think the the thing about elders that they kind of embody the, the next bit is an elder is someone who is now free. So they're not owned by anyone. You know, was it Truman that said, you know, it's, um, it's hard to see the truth if you're paid not to see it. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's what I was watching just um, Simon Reeve looking at Bhopal where the huge disaster was in India and with Union Carbide, and, and you just look at the leadership there that still won't accept responsibility for the fact that 25 years on, massive effects. And well, it's hard not to see something if you're paid not to see it. Yeah. So I think what is about eldership is you're now free. You're now you don't you don't have to buy into anybody. You can speak truth to power. You're not in anybody's pocket anymore. And I think that's what Mandela was looking for, is his vision of this next mountain would be one of eldership, that he would be free to speak into these issues, which he then did and began to do you know, into issues like HIV AIDS and, and spoke right against some other very prominent people at the time as to, to say this is a global pandemic and it's got to be taken utterly seriously. So... You, you talked really eloquently about Mandela and and how he taught us to to dare not linger that phrase, but you also have great stories that explain this principle to us as well. When you talk about two guys that you know, one called Paul and one 
one called Mike. So mm. so we, we have to share those stories as well because I think they will speak equally as clearly to so many people when you, when you tell their story. Yeah, so it's only a view of them. Obviously, I don't know the truth, but I can only speak what I saw. So one was a, a guy that I really looked up to. He just inspired me. He was a brilliant bass player in a blues band. Uh, I didn't even know B.B. King existed until I'd met this guy. And, you know, so it opened up that whole world and he would play blues in the clubs over the weekends. And and he was a brilliant photographer. I mean, really, really good. And and would always like, when I make it, when I, when I get there, when I... And I just thought, well, why don't you get on and do it? Why don't you get on and do it? Why don't you, you know, with the photography and all the blues or... And as the years went by, nothing changed. Right. And I began to just think, this isn't going to go anywhere. He's not going to do anything. You know, he's not making any steps to really take himself to his own potential. And um, what had started out as being quite an inspiring relationship for me, um, I, I felt quite disillusioned by it, to be honest, as the years went on. So I think that was one of the stories, and it's about who, who you're becoming. But and do you think he just decided that he got comfortable with kind of kind of where he was, and it felt too much work to kind of take it to the next level? Yes, I I really don't know, Dave, but I I think there was a huge issue of self confidence and self belief. Right. And I think probably both of us have seen this a lot. We might look at someone and say, wow, they're a gifted sports person, gifted artist, really good manager that you've worked with. And, and you say that to them, and they go, oh, not really. No, no, it's just, you know, and they kind of run themselves down. And of course, if you don't see your potential, if you don't have a vision around your own potential, then you will not work towards it. And he kind of seemed to write himself out of the story. Right. So part of it is... I. I don't think he had a vision of himself that others had of him. And then I think it comes down to those good old poverty mindsets we talked about before is those phrases that we say to ourselves that say, I'm not good enough. I can't do this. Why bother? Why try? You know, why bother sending these photographs to this photo library? They won't be as good as other people's. There are much better photographers out there. All of those kind of statements that we use that write ourselves out of the story. So I think part of the, the lingering for, for him was just just marking time, getting caught yeah. up in that. And, and I think dare not linger is not just a problem for older people, and though I see it hugely, and I'm so aware of it in myself, uh, and you know maybe we can talk more about this, I'm so aware that I have to work harder and harder at myself not to linger. Um, So it is an issue, clearly, for those hitting the second chapter of life, second half of life. But I also think it's an issue for young people. And I think dare not linger for a lot of young people, if I was to overgeneralize, I would say is around distraction. Yeah. Is that there is so much distraction. You know, you can spend all day... (laughs) on the Twitter sphere or Instagram sphere. It's just like a hungry monster. It is. You could spend the whole day. And then you say, well, what else could you have done with that day? Well, 
if you'd have taken half an hour of that time and read a book, a chapter a day on a subject that you really wanted to become an expert in, in five years' time, you'd have come a long, long way. You know, so I think there is something about the distractions that enable a lot of young people to linger, to be honest. If they're hanging around. Yeah. So it's about, sure, we celebrate our successes, but we're always looking for the next step. What's the next stage that we need to Yeah, not in a driven stage. It's got to come back to this vision. Who is it you want to become? Sure. Who is it you want to become? So if you want to become that kind of person, that kind of character, then, yeah, great. Spend 30 minutes on Twitter, but then turn it off. You know, it's that kind of... Yeah. But if you don't have another mountain in front of you, then then you won't do that, I don't think. Well, I suppose if you're on your phone, you can't look up to see the mountain ahead of you, can you? Yeah, so. uh, that's interesting you say lift up your head because my colleague and I, when we wrote the 18 Challenges, because there's about 340 academic definitions of leadership out there. And we said, well, what's our definition? You know, And we, we just came up with a really simple one, which was lift up your head. Yeah. Lift up your head. Because the minute you lift up your head, your whole body energy changes. It actually liberates energy when you lift up your head and you can see where you're going. Yeah. You've you've actually got somewhere to go with to, towards great so that's paul's story i think and and mike's story is very different but i found it equally as powerful so tell us a bit about mike so this is coaching a guy who was uh, working in one of the banks and um so i've coached many many people over the time but it's just stood out to me because just the state he was in uh, so i was talking to him and he just his whole affect was so low, his head was down. Felt like we were kind of pulling ourselves through the coaching conversation and it was meant to be about how he was doing in his job. And, and I, I had to stop the session in the end. I had to say, look, I'm, I really, can I, can I just feedback how I'm experiencing this? I just said, you seem so unhappy. And he said, I am. That I hate my job. I don't want to be in this job. So it's like, why? A very bright guy. Why are you here? And he said, well, when I was young, he said, I loved art and buildings. He said, I know it was a really good art, you know, drawing. I love drawing and drawing buildings. And what I wanted to do, I want to go and be an architect. Hmm. So I came home and I said to my dad, dad, I want to go to university to be an architect. And he said, no, don't be so silly. So there's no job security in being an architect. You should go into banking. You'd always have a job. He said, so I did. And I've regretted it ever since. And and you could see that. I mean, literally had taken the life out of him. Yeah. Um, quite dangerously so, I felt. Yeah. Wow. So that's uh the lesson there is about is about pursuing what you want to do irrespective of the input of others, isn't it, really? Yeah, if you imagine, uh, it sounds so obvious when you say it, is, is that to be alive is to be filled with a life force, an energy. You know, we have an energy about us, a life force. Uh, and that energy wants to go somewhere. <laughs> and, and within each of us, it has a uniqueness. It wants to go somewhere unique in a Dave Cortine kind of way or a Trevor kind of way or a whoever kind of way. So there's this energy and it wants to go somewhere. And if we then make choices that stop it going somewhere, then what we're doing is shutting down the life force. And if you keep on doing that, you shut down, shut down. You're shutting down more and more of the life force. So in the end, you 
end up like shallow breathing, basically. Yeah. You're alive, you're existing, but the, the joy is gone, the energy is gone, the vision is gone, and the potential for impacting the world is gone. Now, having said all that, let me make it very clear, because I've worked in some pretty desperate places. I, I am not someone who says, oh, you can just go and be what you want to be. And, you know, again, there's a very individualistic uh, side to that statement. But what you can deal with is what's going on inside your head. And that's what Viktor Frankl called the last of our, the great human freedoms, is that we actually get to choose what's going on up here. So if what's going up here in my head is actually my dad's words, you yeah. should go into banking, then I'm not living my life. I am not actually working with my life energy, even in a difficult situation. I'm working with my dad's, and I'm not my dad. So by definition, somebody else's sentences in their, in your head are not going to bring you life. They're, they're going to starve you of life. So even how we work in very constrained situations where you can't just go off and do this or go and do that is what we can do is work with our own hearts, work with our own mindsets and liberate that kind of energy because that will create more possibilities than we would have had if we hadn't done that. Sure. So I suppose it's interesting. One, one, uh, my daughter has a clear vision of who she wants to become right now from a work perspective, and she's working towards that. She wants to be a broadcast journalist, and so she started her own range of podcasts and has been interviewing people, uh, interviewing adults about their teenage life. In fact, actually, Trevor, she, she, I just she realized what I'm saying. She, inter she interviewed you for one of them, so thank you yeah. for that. But one of the other people that she interviewed was a lady called Dr. Hazel Harrison, who who was trying to explain to her and to those that were listening about how the teenage brain works and develops and, and it explains certain behaviours that, that we all exhibit when we're, when we're teenagers. So, and I, I know in, the, in this particular um, part of the book, you talk about that whole development of the brain and why that leaves us kind of in such need of of elders, so so I think it would be really useful to sort of uh, explain that because I think it, it 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 kind of adds this concept of of why elders are important and why we miss out on so much if we don't uh, either bring elders into our lives when we're younger or actually consider our role as elders as we as we become older in life. Yes, I find it a fascinating subject. So I mean, I'm going to put it in very very simple terms. The, the three main parts of the brain, the reptilian brain, which is our kind of oldest instinctual part. Then there's the emotional brain. And then there's the more cognitive brain, the cortex. And at the front of that, and I'm pointing to my brow here, <laughs> is what's called the prefrontal cortex. And the thing about the prefrontal cortex in the teenager is it is designed to be spoken to. Right literally spoken to by someone because it is hungry for meaning and purpose. So when we say, oh, you know, idealistic young teenagers, they just want to go and change the world. Um, it's because they do. They actually do. That part of their brain is like, I want a mission. I want a purpose. I want to go and do something in the world because I believe I can and I'm hungry for it and I'm passionate. And I've got this energy. So it's there within the brain. Now, if you can imagine a number of things, imagine what happens if someone never speaks to that. Yeah. Never calls to that. 
And then imagine if someone hasn't called to it, and then a gang leader comes along and says, I see you. Do you want to come and join my gang? And, um, you know, you'll be wear this shirt and you'll get these tools and weapons or whatever's and, and we'll look after you. You're one of us. You've got a name. You're someone here. Yeah. Because the, the brain is so hungry for that, that's why it's so easy to pull certain vulnerable young people into these most desperate situations. And you know, if you don't think this is an issue, may come with me to South Africa right now because it is decimating youth communities um, who are hungry for someone to speak to that part of them. But just follow it through and we'll all have these stories. I, I wish I'd catalogued them over the year. The person who says, you know, I went to my art teacher and I showed them this piece of art because I was so excited. I, I kind of felt really proud of it. And I showed it to my art teacher and they said, oh, well, I wouldn't go. I wouldn't pursue art if I were you. Mm. Or I wouldn't, go to, I wouldn't go and study art at college. Or well, No, it's good, but it's not. You're never going to be an artist. And they never painted again. Yeah. Or they never danced again. Or they never sang again. Or they never studied a language again or something. Because someone had said to them, nah, you can't do this. And it's the same thing, is when that elder, that adult, speaks to the young person, those kind of negative stories, if there isn't any other story to be heard, then the young person believes that, and it can devastate what happens. And then flick it around the other way, is the stories where someone said, you know what, my teacher said to me at 14, I was just, uh, the poet David White, he's a global, poet, amazing poet. But he had shown some of his poetry to one of his teachers at 14. And the teacher had said, David, I think you could really do this. I mean, like, really, I think you could be a poet. And let me encourage you now to really invest in this. Wow. It's so powerful because the brain is hungry for it. Yeah. So why are elders important is um, because... Whatever words you speak, words of life or words of death, are going to have such a huge impact. And yeah, I had it in my own life. I had to wait till I was 19 years old, working in Austria, before someone really said, an, an, an elder said to me, Trevor, I see you, mm. and I see your potential. Honestly, it was, um, it was one of the most potent experiences I'd had. And uh, how... I said to a head teacher recently, I said, if you gave me all your teachers for like an hour, I said, I would just want to talk to them about how they can tell every single pupil in their class that they see them yeah. and what they see. Because I said, it's like dynamite to hear that from an elder. And it's, but it's a two-way street, isn't it, actually, as well? So I think everything, I completely agree everything that you say. But actually, those of us that are older and can therefore provide some eldership to, to those that are younger, there's some real gain in that, isn't there? I mean, just on a personal example. So you know, one of my best 
mates, his son. You know, I've known him since he was very, very young. I've seen him grow up, seen him mature into an adult. And in his job, which was slightly related, first job that he had, slightly related to the industry that I kind of work in. And he just rang me up and said, listen, will you will you come and mentor me? Will you help me? Will you, I want to, you know, I, I feel like I need to grow into this role, but there are certain uh, blocks in the way and, and I just would, would welcome some, some mentoring with you. Uh, he, he's gone to be really successful. I'd like to hope that some of what I, what I said to him helped, helped Nathan, but actually the energy that I got back from those conversations, the, the buzz that I got from coming away from sort of helping him to just open up some ideas that he, that he, that he could perhaps explore that would help him. Yeah, it was huge. You know, I got as I, I think I got more out of it than Nathan did. I, I don't know, but I, but I, but I came away from that with such energy, and I think that's something that's in, important to pick up. And it's back to this idea of of um, you know not lingering because actually pick up these things, you get so much benefit from them. Yes, and I agree. I uh, so I w- not only encourage elders to speak to youngers, but encourage youngers, and I obviously that's simplifying the whole age range here sure uh, but it is to encourage them to go and find the the elders that you need and that's certainly been my experience is i have sought out most of the elders in my life i've yeah. actually thought i i want i want a conversation with a person like that but where my encouragement has been is i would look at someone and think wow you know, they're those person, they've written all these books or whatever, and they won't even reply to my emails or I have been amazed that they have and that we then yeah. have a relationship. So I think there is th- that whole side of it, but that this um, reciprocal benefit is so unspoken. Yeah. Uh, we both, I mean, I, I love the work that I do. So like I said, I do a lot of mentoring with young people around the world. And I, I love it because they give me a perspective on the world. And so they're benefiting and I'm benefiting. So it's, it's helping us both not linger, actually. Because it's still saying to me, Trevor, there's another chapter to write here. There is another mountain here. Because here's a few. But how, how do we get this to more young people? How do we help more young people get mentoring? Um, so there's a huge benefit. There's a, I think, is one of the most beautiful moments I ever saw on on video film was the moment that Greta Thunberg met David Attenborough. And it mm-hmm. was in the middle of the global pandemic. So they couldn't meet face to face, but they met over Zoom or something. And the, it was almost like a love between them. I mean, the, the profound respect. She was thanking him for everything that he'd given his life to as a trailblazer in the whole issue of um, you know, of the, the not just climate change, but every aspect of, the, of ecology. And he was thanking her for her heart and her passion and her tenacity. And there was this great respect between them. And I, I wanted to capture it somehow because I, to me, it sums up the beauty of what this eldering relationship is all about. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess that's what, you know, when we talk about dare not linger, it is that element of, we touched on this at the start, so 
I just want to sort of conclude a bit with this as we as we look at this chapter is that you know when we 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 traditionally tend to look at retirement as the time when we just basically kick back and almost like that's our reward for the previous years of hard work and we just switch off and and do things for ourselves and yeah kind of as as our reward whatever whatever that might that might be and i think the point of this book is that you know don't linger don't don't you know mandela had this incredible vision at the start of his life he went into prison as an angry young man he came out of it um and and achieved the ending of apartheid in south africa which must have felt when he was in robin island as just so far away as to be unachievable but he actually achieved it but the real lesson that came out of that was that you know now was not the time to to linger because there was another mountaintop to mm. to conquer and there was another thing thing to go on and i suppose that's that maybe is is the message here isn't it that we we need to look at the every stage of our life as something that we're going to work through and achieve and when we get there enjoy the moment celebrate but then it's time to move on and work out what that next challenge will be hmm. no absolutely and i i i I think we've got to challenge our view of life, basically, because if we believe that our life is essentially ours and that it exists for us primarily, and yes, obviously to share with a few close loved ones, then that's how we'll shape our days, is we'll invest hard in building those relationships and earning the money and getting that, and then we'll say, it's my turn now. It's yeah. my, it's my turn to eat. It's my turn to play. You know, it's it's my time now. And you hear that phrase. I hear that phrase. It's my time now. And um, I, I have to, to. I always feel I get too evangelistic at this point. So <laughs> forgive me, but um, go on, Trevor. Be evangelistic. <laughs> I, well, I I feel so passionately about it. Is why do we exist? We don't. We're not here because. I'm not here because I decided to be here. My being here is a gift. Whatever you, you know, religious or non-religious view you put on it is irrelevant because the fact is me being here is a gift. Who I am, my makeup, you know, personality, it is a gift. For what? For who? For whom does my life exist? And, and I the profound wisdom of the elders of the generations of thousands of years is your life does not exist for yourself. It exists yeah. for the benefit of others. And that's how you will benefit. You will benefit as your life finds its benefit for others. That doesn't stop at 60. <laughs> the chapter might change at 60. You just simply move into the next chapter. So how do I go on reinvesting who I am? So I think this, our view of life has to be challenged. If we are to, to then constantly deal with the challenge, and it is difficult. You know, I, I, as I said, I can feel fears arising in me that didn't arise when I was 25. It's like, just go for it, you know, because you know the risk of messing up in certain areas now. And so you're sure. a bit more reluctant to take a risk or do that and you're you're aware of health issues and 
so there's a lot of fearful reasons and confidence reasons to to find it hard and and you want to linger because it's easier yeah. um so I, I i don't think mandela was anyway suggesting that dare not linger is easy i think he's saying like this this is the struggle of the second half of life is to not linger yeah and i think there's a sense of excitement which is why this is one of my favorite chapters as i said at the start that actually if we want to find out who we really are becoming and if we want to become the person we were really intended to be then then one key message that we have to always apply is to dare not linger to to kind of to work out what's the next challenge and what are we moving on to and that's a wonderful exciting concepts and so yeah as i say my one of my favorite chapters and and i loved it and it's been great kind of unpicking that and and chatting that through with you uh tonight as ever um there are three challenges that you leave us with we could call it homework if you like for those of you that are listening is to kind of go away from listening to this podcast we want to leave you with uh with three questions or three three challenges, so uh, so yes, yeah, so right, yeah, let's talk us through, through those. Just just occurs to me, I didn't want to leave one. I realised one bit I wanted to say. I, I'm not suggesting that not lingering is to carry on striving like you were when you're 25. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I think who we are it's is that you can be as impactful on the world by learning how to be rather than do. So I think there's a whole thing we could explore yeah. there a little bit more another time. And there's that great saying, isn't it? We're human beings, not human doings. Yeah. yeah, There you go. So uh, my question to you, Dave, number one that we have at the end of this chapter is, do you see examples of people that you know who got older but didn't get elder? Yeah, so I think, although I, I love him to pieces and he's a great man, but I, but I think I'd have to sort of put my father-in-law in this kind of category so he's he's incredibly talented i'm not musical but my wife's family uh very much is and certainly uh yeah my father-in-law that's the case and i'd never appreciated um and this is probably slightly embarrassing on my part i'd never appreciated just how important and how complicated the role of a conductor of an orchestra was until until i met my my father-in-law through my wife because that's one of the things he did as a hobby but he did it brilliantly he conducted a symphony orchestra uh where he lives in in the midlands and and what a you know and i genuinely thought this guy was just at the front waving the baton keeping everybody in time and that was it um but of course what what they're doing is simultaneously reading the music for every single part of the orchestra whether it be you know the wind the horn the, the the strings whatever it is he's reading all those elements and making sure that he's bringing them all in at, at the right time. I mean, it, it is a wonderful metaphor metaphor for leadership. It's a wonderful metaphor for for somebody doing something that seems relatively simple compared to the com- complexity of the people that are playing the instruments. But actually, without him, nothing would happen. So, so yes. So here, there he is. This this incredibly talented uh conductor but but since he's retired and in his retirement you know, he spent his day is very much focused on doing stuff for himself which is involves crosswords and 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 sort of quizzes etc in the newspaper and that's a core part of his of his day that he needs to be able to do and he has a routine that he follows and and i i also sense with him a sense of no hope 
in the original sense sense of the word for for um for going forward and i think that he has so much to give and he's been incredibly generous and wise towards towards me and and, and my wife and and so we've got a lot to be grateful for for him and i need to kind of contextualize what i'm saying by that but but yes he i think could have eldered so many people you know, he's got he's an incredible linguist so he speaks a number of different languages um you know he was a uh, head of department at school so he was a teacher yeah so that that would he would be my example of somebody that that probably missed out on on all the eldership could have given him and you know it's sad because he would have been incredibly good at it so let me just follow that on with the second question why do you think it is that when some people get older they linger and what what is it you could learn or we could learn or people could learn from that so i think undoubtedly the there is a sense of of being really self-centered of not thinking about about others and maybe not not just appreciating going back to my nathan story i was more than happy to help nathan i was honored that he asked me and i was prepared to give time and invest into him because his dad's one of my closest friends and and has invested and supported me what i never bargained for in that experience was the was the benefit that i was going to get out of that so so I did it for for reasons of you know supporting his dad, supporting him because you know he, he's a great lad and I've, I've seen him grow up and and I was really keen to do that. If I got asked again, it, I'd jump at it, even whether I knew the person or not, because I would realise that that act of mentoring gave me so much as well. So so I think I think it's people don't appreciate the the benefit that you get back and there's that kind of self-centered right you know it's me time it's that's that's what i want to do and i certainly would see that in my father-in-law that he's very focused on himself and not what he could offer to others i think yeah and i suppose sort of linked with that is it's about it's about fulfillment isn't it people you know i've worked all you know i work my socks off for 35 40 years and so this is my reward and and maybe that part of that is true and i think you know the point that you just made right at the end before we got into these questions about the fact that we're not saying you've got to continue to work your socks off, by the way. We're just saying you need to continue to find a way of giving and supporting and developing others and, and giving of your time, but not necessarily you could work 60 hours a week. You don't have to carry on doing 60 hours a week, but just what you've got to do something that that is still um, adding value. Mm. And I suppose the other reason, maybe, why why people choose to linger is is that whole thing that we keep coming back to about about vision, and they lack a sense of of personal vision and um, about what it is that they that they want to achieve themselves. Do you think fear plays a part in why people linger? Do you notice that? Yeah, may, maybe, maybe, maybe in terms of you know, fear of of what they may not be of identifying weaknesses themselves and not being able to do. Yeah, quite possibly, quite possibly. You know, I think um, I think it may well be that that for some people it's uh, I don't want to get caught up and overcommitted and you know doing loads loads of things. So so yeah, quite possibly. I don't know. So finally, if I kind of turned the mirror on you personally and said, Dave, where do you see is your personal greatest danger in 
in lingering? Well, I certainly think if my wife was here, she'd say I linger too long on the tennis court. <laughs> um, but I, but I think, I think for me, it's so you know, I've had my business for thirty-four years. So, so it's about working out when is the right time to hand that baton on. And and at the moment, I still feel like. I'm evolving that business and there are still things that I want to achieve and the business is is completely different to the one that I set up with my best mate from uni, a guy called Steve, 34 years ago. So so I feel like there's more of that journey to go, but I need to, to really be working over the next five to ten years about how I can hand that on so that I don't linger for too long in that um, in that business. And I think, I think it's about making sure as well that 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 I focus on my passions. So, so I think it's ensuring that that I, you know, I've got a number of projects that I work on now outside of, or that I have, I should say, not work that I have outside of the the job that I do, and I and I think that's becomes more and more important. So that when time comes for me to hand over my work life I mean I'm only 56 now so yeah I'm, I'm guessing another 10 years and and then I would need to be moving on so I want to continue to build up projects that I can invest in and that I that therefore give me that sense of excitement to look forward to and that I don't I don't linger too long great thank you brilliant so well as you can probably tell I've I've loved this whole concept of dare not not linger it it challenges me and i really hope that as you're listening to this it's challenged you too so we hope you'll join us for the next chapter in this book we've kind of finished the first section now so mm. so we're moving on to section two of the book so uh i'm looking forward to that feel free of course we'd love you to leave us a review on itunes or spotify or whatever your your podcast provider is we 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 really value that and that helps more people to pick up and hear the story about becoming mandela thanks for listening and we'll see you soon